All right, well, um, I want to talk a little bit about how are we going to back up some of the decisions that we've made, some of the invitations that we've heard from the Lord. You know, how are we going to actually accomplish going to the place that God wants us to go? And so um, this morning, I'm just going to give us some uh, framework for that, and then God will do what he's going to do, and this will happen in your life in many different ways, not just the ways that we highlight um, but we can give you kind of a, a, a jumping off point. So over time, one of the biggest ingredients that I've found I had to do was to cultivate a reflective life. And I really wasn't doing that. I had a very busy life. I was serving a lot, but I didn't really have a, a, a lifestyle that accommodated enough margin or, you know, silence and solitude in my life to be reflective. Um, and at the same time, stay connected to my community really well, and then just move and move more and more towards some obedience in the things that God was speaking to me uh, in order to see transformation and change. And so I want to show you this illustration because these are the three elements that it takes to really see transformation in your life. And, and you know, the first one is a, a reflective life, and that's kind of where your, your word, who you say you are and who God says you are, like your promise to God, it increasingly aligns with God's mission and what God's doing and, and co-creates the world with God. And so you're like literally getting on board with what God is doing. And you do that through, you know, reflecting on what God wants. Remember the two things? Um, who does God say he is and who, who does God say you are? And a reflective life is kind of always diving into that and, uh, you know, pulling back the layers and learning how to live into that positive vow. Uh, authentic community, and that just develops around, uh, we kind of have in our community a shared vision for transformation. And that's a culture that we've cultivated. So there's so many people that are doing it that it's easy to bring other people along. It's easy for us to tell our transformational story or what God's doing. And, and, and we're, we're sharing that vision with other people and having real authentic community. That's super important for transformation. I could never have done the transformation work that I've seen in my life without my community. Uh, and so often it's, you know, just as God is opening a can of worms and you do discover shame or whatever it is, you have people in your life, as Tammy shared, and you know, all of us that are doing any transformation work have people in our life that kind of help keep our feet on the ground and pray for us and come around us so that, um, you know, we don't, we're not doing it alone. And then radical obedience. And, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, but radical obedience, it's what leads to being missional, to being on mission with God and having a life that's missional, which is God's purpose and God's plan for us. I mean, we're not just here to grow daisies. We're here to be on mission with God and, uh, and doing what he asks us to do. And that takes, so these three things, the authentic community, the reflective, contemplative life, and then the radical obedience, like literally the courage to hear God and then go do the things that he's telling you to do. And we never want to lose sight of like the whole reason why we want to spend our time becoming somebody who's more like Christ, who's transformed and changed, is it's, it's all... We, we want to, it's all made possible by cultivating a reflective life. This is sort of like the, the core of it. And as we do that in the context of authentic community with others who share the same vision, 
The reality is that we will be on mission. We will naturally be on mission with God, doing what he's doing and caring about what he cares about, just like Jesus did. That's how Jesus did it. And so he had these things, and if we have these things, then we will become more missional. And I know that the less anxiety I have, the less I'm trying to get your approval, the more I understand who I am in Christ, the more I'm actually tuned into and doing what the Father's doing. And, and I'm not exhausted. And so I, I think sometimes, um, you know, I wonder, like, how, how is Jesus able to do the things that Jesus did with so much compassion, you know, to, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, preach the gospel? Uh, and I think we struggle to stay on mission with God, don't we? Because we are distracted by all of the, the baggage. And to me, you know, I'm, if I could start with this reflective life and that steers me down the path of learning how to be honest with God and others and being a person of integrity, as I do that, then I find mission just sort of flows out of me. It's, it's more of a, a natural byproduct. So let's talk about how, how do we learn to live a reflective life this morning a little bit. And one of the first things that I had to do, and I told you how I did this, I think, um, was develop a, a spiritual workout. You know what? If you want to get fit physically, you work out physically. If you want to get fit spiritually, you have to have a spiritual workout, and you have to have a plan through that, for that. And one of the beautiful tools and the means that we have for that are the spiritual disciplines. And there's a great book by Adele Albert Calhoun, and this is uh, in the bookstore available, but it's a book of, it's just full of spiritual disciplines. There's things in here you would never even imagine. The common ones you may have heard of, silence, solitude, prayer, meditation, uh, fasting, some of those you might have heard of, but she's very creative in thinking of outside the box and in, uh, lots of inclusivity and things that, you know, you wouldn't even think of. So in other words, if, if you find through your discovery process that you know, you tend to be selfish and you like to be in front and, you know, you make everyone else walk behind you because you want to be the first one through the door. And God's kind of saying, you know, that's not me. That's, that's coming out of your false self. And you discover that in your reflective life. Then you want to incorporate some spiritual discipline to retrain yourself to stop doing that autopilot. And so that spiritual discipline might be a spiritual discipline of going last. And you would start practicing it. And you would reshape your thinking and your autopilot. You'd turn it off. So you, you're beginning to say, this, this, I, this isn't just, you know, so, so many things are like, oh, that's just Brenda being Brenda, right? Or that's just a personality. It's like, no, actually, that could be reformed in you, reshaped in you. Um, but you get to kind of make the decision of whether or not you're going to do that. Work with Jesus and ask him to make you into somebody who's humble enough to go last. And so you might have the spiritual discipline for months of slowing or, you know, waiting or being last and giving preference to everyone else first. So that's the whole goal of having a spiritual discipline and a spiritual workout. Here's a, a quote from her book. Spiritual transformation or recovering your life comes from partnering with the Trinity for change. And that doesn't mean that we give the Holy Spirit an agenda or a demand. We simply desire, we bring our ache for change, our longing for belonging, our desperation to make a difference. 
That's the missional part. And then we keep company with Jesus by making space for him through the container of a spiritual discipline. Our part is to offer ourselves lovingly and obediently to God. God then works within us doing what he alone can do. Our desires don't obligate the Holy One. God is free to come to us in spiritual disciplines as he wills, not as we demand. But unless we open ourselves to him through spiritual practices, we will miss his coming altogether. I just think that's a powerful statement about, you know, how this process of transformation works. Quite honestly, we don't change because we don't stop to listen to God. We don't let him speak into our lives. We don't have margin for it. Um, we expect him to be like McDonald's and, you know, drive through a window it to us all the time, fast, fast food Jesus. And, you know, he, he wants us to learn to sit with him. Not so that he can give us another sheet of expectations and, you know, oh, here, by the way, I need you to do this for me today. It's not like going to the boss and, you know, getting, but just to be with him. Waste time with him. This has been like so, at first it feels wrong, you know, to waste time with God, but that's what you do with good friends, is you just waste time together. And you're with each other just for the sake of being with each other because you enjoy one another's company, and that's hard for us with God because we think he's busy, we think he's, you know, remotely, you know, big and out there somewhere. And so I just want to highlight a jumping off point for you to find some more information about beginning spiritual disciplines because there's a way more extensive reading list um, at the back of your handout. You have a lot of books there that will get you started. But here's three that if you don't have a clue what a spiritual discipline is and you've never done any reading, uh, you might try Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline, or Dallas Willard's book, The Spirit of Disciplines, or John Ortberg's book, The Life You Always Wanted. These are all books that I've read in my journey of trying to learn spiritual disciplines. Now, you know, I started out for the first 10 years of my leadership journey just saying, God, if you would just give me discipline to do the discipline, you know, that would really help. <laughs> right? I mean, I, was, I just, that was my magic bullet that I wanted from God was just, if you know, everything, you could change my life entirely if you would just give me discipline, God. And I would be kind of constantly begging him for discipline and not really getting any. And so the thing that, that helped me learn discipline was starting here. And um, the first time I did disciplines, I hated it. The first time I did silence and solitude, uh, you know, I wanted to like slay myself. It was so, <laughs> it was so tormenting to be with me for three days alone and not have anyone to talk to um, and this is years and years and years ago. And, and I literally, I knew it would be good for me, but I thought, you know, this is terrible. Like, it, I just really hated it. And now, years later, because I kept pressing into it and met Jesus in that place, now I'm like, don't mess with my silence and solitude. Don't put anything on my calendar when you see that, because that's my Jesus time. And if I don't have it, you know, I turn into that B word. Um, but I'm not going to say anymore. Um, but there's so many disciplines. There's, you know, the prayer, the solitude, confession, worship, fasting. And the goal of beginning to develop a spiritual workout is so that you can have this, you know, intimate, more transparent relationship with God, like we read about in John 15. And we see that in the Garden of Gethsemane, that beautiful picture of Jesus with that intimacy with the Father. And, and David in the Psalms, how 
he could say anything. David was pretty transparent, you know, and we go, oh, David, <laughs> you know, it's easy to judge him because he's just like, you know, crying out to God, blaming God, all this stuff. And he's just actually being pretty honest with God and um, letting God into his secret self. And I don't think very many of us get that transparent and messy sounding with God as we see David did in the Psalms. So one of the most important things, and, and I talked about spiritual discipline as being like a container, is we show up. <laughs> we show up in God's presence. And then what I've had to learn to resist doing is telling God how it's going to go. <laughs> okay, God, I'm here. Now, let's talk about what I need. Or let's talk about what I expect from you or what I'm upset that you're not doing with me, which, you know, you can do that too, but that's not really going to get you that much transformation. It'll make you feel a little better temporarily. But until you start to listen and create some space for God to say to you what God wants to say to you, you're not going to experience a ton of internal transformation. All the transformation I've had is mostly God speaking into my life the truth about who he is and who I am. And so we're combining our will with his power to change us. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Um, it just talks about, you know, how, how, when you show up, what do you bring into that arena? Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. And I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. That's, that's what happens in the container, in the spiritual discipline. And so your, your will is just show up. Just show up and be with God. And then God is going to, you know, do the hard, the hard part. And we start living, um, as well as showing up in God's presence, you know, we back that up by just starting to live honestly and authentically. And the spiritual, the spiritual disciplines ask us to show up. They create that container where God can come. And then I can, in that place, start testing and learning and trying out this authenticity thing and, and, and learning to be honest with myself and God in that place. Um, you know, the more face time that I spend with Jesus, the more I hear him. And the more I hear him, the more I experience his love and his grace. And I begin to kind of know who I am and, and that I'm loved, even though I do have lots of flaws and fears. And, and it, if it is true that I'm, you know, loved, then I can certainly be even more honest. And it's kind of like teaches you how to stop hiding and just trust who God says that I am. Um, this is one of my favorite quotes about transformation from one of my coaches in my own discipleship process, Jim Harrington. And he said, In the presence of the Holy Spirit, the experience of having the courage to be vulnerable is perhaps the most powerful com component of transformation. And I talked a lot about vulnerability last night and how important it is and, and, you know, just even how hard it is, but important. And then with the help of the spiritual disciplines, it's in that place of vulnerability that all the life-changing encounters happen. That's where it all happens. Now, what really changes me and you, what transforms us is real experience. 
Uh, it's not just believing in God's offer of new beginnings that transforms you. It's actually the experience of receiving new life that changes you. So it's not the knowledge of like reconciliation that changes you, but when you've had the Spirit of God come and restore a relationship that desperately needed reconciled, then you become changed. That's real transformation. It's not the knowledge of like forgiveness that changes you, but when you've been terribly sinned against and you experience this supernatural deposit of real forgiveness and God moves the, removes all the hurt and all the betrayal and you can look at your brother and sister in the eye and you don't have to feel like you've been sinned against, you have been transformed, you're changed. So it's not just the knowledge of it, it's the, the reality of it. It's the, it's the experience of it. The Pharisees had tons of knowledge and you know they had this rigorous checklist of all the ways to behave and they knew what the right things were to do, but they didn't have the experience of God's grace and love in their lives. And they couldn't change their behavior. They couldn't change their hearts. And so knowledge didn't change them. It didn't transform them. Knowing what to do doesn't even touch experiencing something from the Holy Spirit. And that's what delivers real, authentic transformation. Our maturity and how we show up, as we talked about, our maturity is measured by how closely our thoughts and our words and our actions resemble Jesus. And me, myself, and I, we don't. We get a little bit more flesh and Brenda than Jesus. But in that place where I have an experience with God and I find transformation and change, then I start to get changed from the inside out. And I end up looking and I say things. I'm like, oh, gee, my, well, wow, that sounded good. That was Jesus. That was, you know, all of a sudden Christ starts coming out of me. Um, all of, so much of my personal healing, so much of my transformation have been Holy Spirit moments, and they've been, they've been, they've happened because I made space for God. That was my part, and I made space in my life to have those experiences through the disciplines, spiritual disciplines, and I was just following this crazy spiritual workout. And honestly, wasn't that great at it. Um, lots of times I wasn't that great at it. Um, and so once again, the disciplines, they're not what transforms us. They're just the container where God can come and do that work in us. Dallas Willard says the spiritual disciplines are not ends in and of themselves. They're simply the means by which the clay puts itself on the potter's wheel where the potter may then shape it into what he intended all along. So the, the disciplines are just there because that's what we can do to access the help and that only God can do. And, you know, it's the same as uh, if you're going to start doing disciplines. It's, it's like, think of it like, you know, people don't start out running a marathon. They start running a 5K. And then they do harder and longer races. And so they train for the big marathon to where they can you know, fast for a lot of days, or if you translate that into spiritual disciplines. Romans 12, 1 says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. That happens in my container. 
That happens in my spiritual discipline. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Show up. Show up in your container, in your spiritual discipline. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you. Quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down into its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. So here's some other elements that will affect your transformation. How you view God really matters. And sometimes our view of God, it hampers our experience of God. And so you need God to tell you who he is, and you need to go, I buy it. Uh, okay, I'll pitch you know, my false self-projection of you and all the things that I don't understand about you. Um, but it does affect your ability to be authentic if you, if you don't view God in the way that God really is. And so generally, um, as I said, we project onto God that thing that we love about our false self. And so if we can stop doing that and just show up and, you know, let God be God. And how authentic that you are with other people really affects your transformation because most of us do really struggle to expose our, our secret self, our private self. Um, we have to have some new experiences and, and even exposure to developing trust with other people. So, um, you know, I've told you stories of how that was in my ability to be honest with people about what was going on. Um, a hug from them delivered me or set me free or healed me. So, they were part of it, and the more people that I actually let be a part of my healing experience, um, this is where, you know, community comes in and is so important. It's probably one of the only places, it's probably one of the safest places to take the risk to be authentic is with God, God lovers and followers of Jesus. And so, you know, um, there's always that lie. If you, if you say this, if you do this, they're going to reject you. They will definitely judge you. And, you know, I've, I've said this already, but when I've taken lots of risks to share, I'm always just shocked that people give me Jesus' heart, they give me God's grace, um, and, and really in my most untrusting and dark moments, <laughs> the community has been like Jesus to me. And so it's really easy, I think, to fool ourselves into thinking that we're transparent with God, like, oh, I'm, I'm, I can say anything to God, you know, I just can't say that to other people. Um, I, I think God wants us to be transparent with other people too, not just him, living in a community and building relationships. So some things that are really helpful to learn how to kind of navigate just becoming more mature and learning to be more honest is just healthy self-disclosure, and that's just telling others what I know that they don't know. When someone asks you a question, instead of skirting it and telling them something that you already posted on Facebook, uh, you know, Tell them something that they don't know. That's healthy self-disclosure. Uh, increasing self-awareness. This is just letting other people tell me what they know that I don't know. What are my blind spots? You know, what do you see that I don't see? How do you feel when I, uh, you know, when I didn't listen very well? And, you know, I was on my phone while you were telling me about this loss in your life. And I walked away and I thought, wow, I wasn't a very good listener, going back to them and saying, how did that impact you negatively? How did that make you feel? And then, then owning it and saying, 
that's not who I want to be in your life. Can I redo this? Can we have a redo? I want to like actually make a promise to listen well. And so would you tell me when I'm not listening very well? That's increasing self-awareness. Healthy maturity is allowing both to happen even when it's painful. Painful for you or even when it's painful for them. Uh, just being, being brave, having the courage to walk into those spaces and, and, ha- and say, I, I need a redo. I need to clean up a mess. I didn't do very well with that conversation. Um, please forgive me. How did that impact you? Can I, can I, I'm learning. I'm trying to learn how to be a good friend. Would you tell me when I'm not? Um, and that kind of, it can be painful. It can be hard. It can feel like confrontive. But that's where the transformation happens, is in that. So those are some of the things that help you learn to be honest. And each of us has to face the truth kind of about our family of origin. Um, and Tammy talked a lot about that in her story. And, you know, when did these first experiences of not trusting begin to happen in my life? And when did I first experience this kind of ruptured relationship with someone that I really believed loved me or was supposed to love me? When did I experience this, um, you know, unforgiveness or abuse? And and that stuff is when we make the vow. It's when we attach the meaning. uh, And it really sets us up for just the false self for so many years of our life. So we have to kind of go back and take a look at that. And we do that in our container. It's safe. It's just me and Jesus and then community coming in and praying through it with me. Another thing that really affects it, our transformation, is how much we practice submission. And honestly, I don't think transformation, you're not going to see a lot of change without submission. And so there's a couple things. If you, if, you, if you pray and ask God about this, he'll show you what it is in you. But there's a couple things that are the flip side, the, the negative side of submission. And it's, it's rebellion, it's pride, it's self-sufficiency. But what keeps us from submission is a really important question to look at in your life. If you can't submit to God and you can't submit to others, um, that is going to cut off your uh, transformation. And, you know, Jesus remained obedient to his parents. He submitted to the Father by coming in the flesh and going to the cross. And a, a total act of submission by Jesus was the ultimate transformation for mankind. And so key relationships are really important. They're in place to practice being authentic and to make significant progress in this area. You're going to have to, you're really going to benefit from learning how to submit to some, someone in a community of people who are going to support you. It could be mentors or peers or friends or family that are healthy and, you know, committed to this ongoing process um, of submitting and submitting to the people that God has put in your life to help you become, they become the catalyst for ongoing transformation in a community together. Healthy relationships are a great place to practice some being authentic. I'm going to um, end with this quote, and then we're going to take a break here. Listen to this. It's from the Surrender to Love book by David G. Benner. Paradoxically, no one can change until they first accept themselves as they are, and it's only when I accept who I am that I dare to show you that self in all its vulnerability, vulnerability easy for you to say, vulnerability and nakedness. And so 
um, that kind of backs up the whole being willing to be submit to somebody means that I'm going to be vulnerable. And, you know, when I was in some of my deepest, darkest, hardest, you know, circles, there were, that trust was really important. Like when I had to admit that I was lying, trust was really important. And I'm going to end with this little story because God keeps bringing it to my mind and I haven't told you about it. But I told you that um, I was in my little circle of, my coaching circle with Tammy and Judy and, and our coach who was meeting with us weekly to hold us accountable to what God was doing in our life. And so my coach one day, uh, as I confessed that I had made a mess in my life with my habitual sin of lying, and this had actually spread into, you know, my marriage, and that I was not being honest about our finances to my husband. And, and I, I had a plan that I was going to get around to it eventually when I was ready and I was going to get prayer first and fast, and I was going to wait till Michael was home for more than a week, so we had plenty of time to make up. And, you know, I, I had all these <laughs> things that I thought were going to make it work. And so I was trying to explain that, and he goes, um, you need to do it tonight. And I was like, no, because Tammy and Judy are going to meet with me and pray for me first. And Michael has to be home for a week, and blah, 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 blah. And he's like, no, you're going to do it. Can you do it tonight? Can you make a promise to me right now that you'll do it tonight? And I started getting mad at him. And I was like, why are you painting me in a corner? I mean, at least I'm going to do it. You should just be happy about that, you know? <laughs> and he literally wouldn't back off. Like, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. This is a 10-minute conversation, uh, which was real confirmation to me because my husband always says that, I say the same thing five different ways, and it's like being broken over glass, you know, broken glass, being drug over broken glass, that's his quote. Um, and so I'm, I'm like, yeah, I probably shouldn't talk to him about it for an hour. He's going to feel like the broken glass thing is happening. <laughs> and so I'm listening to my coach, and I know he's right, but I'm, I'm getting mad. So finally, I'm just like out of frustration, like, you know, there's three of us, there's two other people on this call. call. How about we just talk about somebody else for a while? And so <laughs> I, I did that. I, I'm like, okay, okay, I, I, I'll do it. Fine, whatever. Go on, go on, you know, carry on. And um, so then I hung up and I was mad. And Judy and Tammy actually texted me like, ooh, that was like, he, that was, he was kind of mean. I'm like, you know, yes, I'm dying here. And <laughs> so um, Michael then texts, hey, do you want to do something tonight? I text back. Actually, I need to have a conversation with you about something that came up in faith walking. He's like, okay, I'll be home for dinner. So he comes home for dinner. We're sitting at the table, and I'm thinking, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And then I feel like I'm getting red. I'm getting hot. Um, and he, he's like, what did, what did you want to talk about? And so I literally, like, get overwhelmed with shame, and I start crying. I just start crying. Like, I'm just crying, crying. And I, like, I said, I'm so afraid, and I feel so ashamed to tell you what I have to tell you. And I've never had this happen before, because I've never had this kind of experience with shame. But honestly, I started, my hands went up to my face, and I started scrubbing my face with my hands. And it was just like shame manifesting. And my husband did the most beautiful thing. And whenever I get to those things that are very spiritual, I always cry. So, um, But he came over to me. And he just, he held me. He just hugged me. And he started praying. And he said, shame, I break your power in Jesus' name. You cannot stay here. Brenda doesn't have to be good at everything. 
She is good at a lot of things, but she doesn't have to be good at everything. She can have limitations. And she's a beautiful person. And he just like rebuked shame. And of course, it just melted off of me in that moment. And then we were able to have, you know, an honest conversation about the finances. And I told him, I want to learn to be honest about this. And I'm sorry, I don't want to, I don't want to lie. I don't want to hide things from you. And he was so amazingly gracious. He was like, we can do this together. We can get help. I'm not good at it either. He's like, we can get help. Do you know it's okay for us to get help? Like, we're really good at some things, but we need help in some things, you know. And um, he was just incredibly gracious. And, and so I say that to say, it, 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 this, this is what transformation looks like. This is what, you know, this, and this healed our marriage. And it brought us back to, you know, a, a new place of intimacy because there wasn't that lie between us. But God, I had to show up. God had to tell me what to do. I had to then obey him. I needed the community to help me, hold me accountable, even if it, like, made me a little bit upset at him. And I went back later and I told Todd, I'm like, that really made me mad. But I did it, and it worked. It was wonderful, you know. <laughs> and that's all normal. That's just what transformation looks like. It's just messy and normal. All right, let's take a, a break. I'm going to cut you back to a 10-minute break. And if everyone tries to go to the bathroom in 10 minutes, it's going to be a fiasco. So let's just let the people who really have to go badly get up first <laughs> and run out the door. And then I will start in 10 minutes with or without you.
still in line at the bathroom. Mikosa, can you come here a second? All right, whew, I could hardly go to the bathroom and get back in 15 minutes. Val, I, I did a little bit of editing, so you might have to play catch up to keep up with me. You got it, girl. All right, I'm gonna wrap, wrap her up. Are you, you guys, you know what happens to me after this much time of me speaking? I get sick of the sound of my own voice. <laughs> oh. And last night, this is really funny. Uh, you know, have you ever been like on a really long trip and you're driving and um, toward the end you just, you start falling asleep and you're like trying to keep yourself awake and so you can drive? And then you get home, you get in bed, and you're trying to fall asleep, and then you're like, wait, I'm driving. Oh, no, I'm not driving. I'm in bed now. <laughs> so last night, I laid in bed, and I kept like, wait, go, wake up, I'm speaking. And I would be like saying something random and moaning. And I was like, no, no, I'm not speaking. I'm trying to sleep, you know. Well, like three or four times, I woke myself up mumbling because I thought I was supposed to be speaking. It was so funny. Oh, man. All right, we're going to, um, with this last session, we're going to talk about cultivating um, the path. The path, and the path is, you know, cultivating vision, cultivating intention, and cultivating tools for transformation. That's going to kind of be your, your framework for how you're going to walk this out. And I think there are a few things that summarize what we've been talking about here that I just want to leave you with as we close. And the first one is just that we need a vision for our life in the kingdom of God. And the vision of our life in the kingdom of God, that's the place that we need to start. And as we accept that, as we expect, accept his, his spirit and his vision and his kingdom um, becomes our compass, then we find kind of like, oh, I'm, I, my feet are firmly planted on the path of, of Christian spiritual formation. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole and put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master Jesus Christ. The one who called you is completely dependable. And if he said it, then he'll do it. Amen. I think that should be a refrigerator verse. I, I don't know. 
I think that should be on your mirror, you know? If he said he would do it, if he invited you to this, if he's given you an invitation, you've made a container, and in that container, uh, he, you have heart-to-heart, face-to-face time, and he invites you to some transformation or says, here's this beautiful place that I want to take you, then you have to keep this in mind because he's the one who makes you holy and whole, and he's the one who called you, and he will, you're dependable, you're, he will be completely dependable if you show up, and if he said it, he'll do it. And that was out of the message, but it's First Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, and I just love that, um, just when I'm thinking about just how hard transformation is sometimes. Oh, here, let me pause here. <laughs> Let's get my best side. And so if, if the vision of our life in the kingdom of God is the place that we have to start, then you have to know what the kingdom of God is. And the kingdom of God is when God gets his way, when God rules and reigns. You're going to know when you're in heaven because God's going to have his way all the time. Um, and God, God want, what God wants done is done. And so a, a vision of your life in the kingdom is a vision of my life where God gets what God wants in my life. And, and so we pray and um, we, we sing, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and we hope and we pray for times when his kingdom will continue to break into completely and be fulfilled here on earth, right here, right now. Uh, your vision for spiritual transformation into Christ's likeness is God's will for your whole life right now and forever. It's the big deal. And this means that, you know, you're going to become the church. You're become the lamppost. You're going to become the light that shines, the, the signpost that points people to God. That, that, how does that work? How do our lives end up being a good reflection, a right reflection of who God is? And, and it means that we're participating by the things that we do, the things that we say, and what God's doing in, in our lifetime here on earth. Um, and because he's renewing it all. Our, our, we're here, one of our pastors loves to say this, and I always feel some resistance to it. He's like, we're here to help make the world perfect again. And that's what, that's what God's doing. But I'm, I just always feel a little overwhelmed by that. You know? um, but our vision for spiritual transformation is God's will for our whole life, right now, forever. Shalom, Brenda, put your name there. That's where we're headed. And that's the privilege that's extended to us in the gospel itself. That's, that's the gospel that we responded to. Um, and it's a vision that calls me to live fully in the kingdom of God and as fully as possible here and now. And, and you know, we don't have to wait for those experiences. We don't have to wait for some of Shalom to come into our life now um, because he's the one who makes us whole and holy. And the second thing is we need to become intentional. So that's about vision. Intentionality is so important I think there's probably only a few things in my life I've been as intentional about, you know, as I have about transformation. Um, I've been intentional about staying married and raising my kids to love Jesus, and um, I, I have a fire in my belly about growing and changing and becoming and, and always becoming the person, the woman that God always meant for me to be. And so I have to be intentional. And when I can rely on Jesus, when, when you rely on Jesus, he's the one who makes it possible for us to intentionally live in the kingdom like he did. We, we can actually decide to do it. You know that intentionality is about making a decision. 
You can be intentional about living in the kingdom of God by obeying the example and the teachings of Jesus. And that's your, your, this is your confidence in him. And, and my confidence in him, it's not simply a matter of just believing all these things about him that are true and important. But I, I need to realize that, you know, nobody can actually believe the truth about Jesus without trusting him and without also being intentional about obeying him. And um, it's, it's mentally impossible. The idea that you can trust Christ and not obey him is an illusion. So if you're not obeying him, then I say you're not trusting him. And that's, that's the crux of why you can't obey him and why I can't obey him. In fact, you can, you can no more trust Jesus and not intend to obey him than you could trust your doctor or your auto mechanic and, and not intend to follow their advice. Uh, if you don't intend to follow their advice, then you just don't trust them. That's why you don't follow their advice. And, and intentionality always involves a decision. It's, it's, it's real. You're, you're, you can say, well, I had really good intentions. But if you never made a decision, if it never included a decision to, like, fulfill or carry through with your intention, then you weren't very intentional. It has to involve a decision. A lot of times we find, you know, people who say, well, I intended to do a certain thing and they don't do it. And to be fair, there are some external circumstances that maybe sometimes have prevented people from being able to follow through with their intentions. But it, it's probably that they didn't really make a decision uh, to decide what they're going to do, what they intended to do. And so they never really did intend to do it. If you don't make a decision, then you didn't have that much intention. The decision is the action because of the intention. But if you do have a vision, a strong vision for your life in the kingdom and who God wants you to be and the mission that he's on, if you have a vision for that, if you can see a, a, a bit of a, a you know, the, the beautiful place that God wants you to go, and it takes time to actually receive it and believe it and write it down, and then it takes longer to say it um, and believe it like you say it. But as you start to develop that very strong vision and be decisive, it, it will help you be decisive. And then, you know, you have intentions, you'll be able to make a decision and chart a course of action. And then you'll be able to give your word to God, give your word to others about your vision. And you'll be able to say that with God's help, I have every intention of keeping my word and I'm going to become a person of truth and integrity and have a kingdom life. And, and it's the vision of life in God's kingdom and it's the goodness that provides an adequate basis for you know, all of that kind of like resolve, that steadfast intention to obey Christ. And it's that when you carry through and you make a decision, you carry through, then it, what that does is it turns into fuel for your vision, and it makes it clearer and brighter. So it's secular. I think you said this exact thing about the, Tammy, when you were talking about how, you know, the vision leads to intention, you make decision, uh, and God gets on that, and you obey him, and then he shows up and transforms you, and all of a sudden you have more vision, and it just keeps going. It's like a wheel, and it just gets momentum. 
um, as, you, as you follow through. So we need vision, we need intention, and then we need to develop a plan with tools for transformation. And I'm, I'm kind of learning, Janice has actually helped me with this. She describes transformation in different phases. And, you know, there's, a, and it certainly has been true for me, the first phase is self-awareness and kind of going through that deconstruction process. And, you know, you're basically, it's sort of like the hard part because it's the painful kind of admission. It's the shame. It's the, you know, recognizing my habitual disobedience and, um, and, and owning the fact that, you know, I have some work to do. It's kind of like, for me, it was the process of becoming completely undone. And, um, you know, I didn't like that part. It was hard. And, you know, sometimes I had community and people would, you know, say, I had a friend once I was processing it in the early stages. She's like, sounds like you're having an identity crisis. Are you having an, do you feel like you're having an identity crisis? I'm like, yeah, I feel like Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall, you know, and there's pieces everywhere. And, but I did also feel deep inside that it was God that was going to kind of gather me up, put me back together, and I was going to become who he says that I am. And, and so that's the kind of the first phase. It's this, that going through the deconstruction process. And then the second, one of the second parts of it, if I just lump it into two categories, is the formation process. And this is the time when God is kind of putting you back together. And he's redefining you and he's healing you and he's setting you free from shame and renewing and restoring and reshaping and reimagining and reimaging the new you. And you're sort of embracing this beautiful place that God is taking you, and you get hopeful that one day, you don't, like, I, I went from not believing it to, okay, I believe it, but I have no idea how I'm going to get there, to beginning to experience some of the ways I'm going to get there. And now I go, well, uh, I, don't, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I know I'm going there. And so I, my faith is building, and I get more hopeful as I see God doing and doing the hard work and, and me just showing up, basically. Uh, so it, it's helpful to know that you're going to have to go through A to get to B. And, you know, A feels bad being deconstructed. Um, it feels a lot better when the formation part of it happens. And that's kind of what I've been enjoying the last year a little bit more is, is more of the formation process. Here's a quote from Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Until you have given up yourself to him, you will not have a real self. And then another way of saying, show up. Show up in, in the container of spiritual disciplines. And the clear vision and the solid intention to obey Christ is naturally going to lead to accomplishing the vision. You will. That's just the natural order of life. That will be the fruit of it. And there are lots of many spiritual disciplines that um, become tools. And so I referred to some of those books where you can look at different spiritual disciplines, and I encourage you to go find what works for you. Go find some of them. And if they feel hard, that means it's not working. It might even indicate that that's the one you should be doing if it feels that hard until it, it's not. There's another quote here, Sacred Rhythms by Ruth Haley Barton. She says, I cannot transform myself or anyone else for that matter. What I can do is create the conditions in which spiritual transformation can take place by developing and maintaining a rhythm of spiritual practices that keep me open and available to God. 
That kind of describes what I'm trying to say. Um, for instance, when I have a friend like that betrays me or, you know, in some way, um, you know, hurts me as a friend and somehow they feel, you know, they walk away feeling justified, like they've triumphed over me. Um, now, uh, maybe months, years go by and they're standing in a place of really significant need. You know, I can tell you for sure. I can, I can be sure that I'm not going to be able to like on the spot, do the right thing in that relationship. Especially if, you know, my inner being, my inner heart is filled with all kinds of thoughts and feelings and habits that pretty much characterize my flesh. And they, they characterize my ruined soul from just living in the world. Uh, but on the other hand, if I, if I intend to obey Jesus and turn the other cheek or, um, you know, love my enemy... I'm going to have to get super intentional. I'm going to have to decide to become the kind of person who would obey Jesus by following his example. And I have to find a way to receive his heart, to receive his grace, to ask him to change like my inner being, my heart, until it like substantially characterizes him and his thoughts and his feelings for that person and his habits. And that comes through his relationship with the Father. So basically, I, I, I only have one hope of doing the right thing. I only have one hope of doing this. And what it's going to come down to, this is sort of like the bottom line, it's going to all amount to whether or not I have a life that's organized and oriented around some wise spiritual disciplines where there's spaces and containers in my life to receive God's grace and forgiveness and heart for that person. And it doesn't take much for you to realize and for me to realize that we just cannot do what we should do just by trying. I mean, try, try doesn't work. <laughs> try might work a little bit, but it doesn't get you to the place that the training, the being formed in Christ image can, and so that you can just become the kind of person that what if you could become the kind of person that would actually do the right thing when, with, with your friend who betrayed you and now they stand in front of you in need with very little thought? What if it was more natural to do the right thing? What if it was more natural to say, you know what? <laughs> of course I'll give you time, energy, and resources for your time in need. Of course I will. I, I will. Of course I will. And that's what I want to do because God has changed and transformed my heart. And, you know, people who do not intend for that to happen, they don't make a decision for that to happen. They don't make a, a, a decisive, intentional uh, decision to be inwardly transformed so that the obedience to Christ comes naturally will not be transformed. That's just the hard truth of it. God's just not going to pick us up and throw us into, you know, transformed kingdom living or into holiness. He's always inviting, inviting, and we follow him, and we say yes, and we say, we surrender. You know you're going to be surrendering for the rest of your life, <laughs> and you just need to get good at it, <laughs> you know? Surrendering to the presence of God, surrendering 
Here's a quote by Teresa of Avalos. She said, I know the power obedience has of making things easy, which seem impossible. You know, obedience does what it does, even if it doesn't agree or feel like it. Obedience is obedience. It doesn't, it doesn't literally, it doesn't, what am I trying to say? It, it's like you, you can't, it, it, it means that you're going to do it because it's the right thing to do. That's obedience. Not because you feel like it, not because you're like, oh yeah, I can do that. It's easy. All my needs are met. I can do that. It's, it's actually doing it no matter what. That's obedience. That's, you know how parents will sometimes say, you know, you ask your kid to do something and your kid goes, well, why? Because I said so. <laughs> right? That's God and you. <laughs> when God says, you know, I want you to love your enemy and you're like, oh God, that's, are you kidding me? I'm going to have to be in my container for 10 years to do that. And, you know, why? And he's like, because I said so. That's obedience. So actually, the problem of spiritual formation, and, or maybe even the lack of it among most Christians, the people that are identifying as Christians, it's not, it's not because it's impossible. It's not because you're, you're not old enough or mature enough. It's, 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 it's not because there's no means. There's tons of ways that are available for us to mature in this. The problem is that spiritual transformation into Christ-likeness is not intentional. It's not intentional. We don't see it as valuable enough, and we don't decide to carry through with it, and we don't decide to do the things and obey Jesus and do the things that he did and the things that he said. And so it turns what happens today. It's largely due to the fact that, you know, we just haven't gotten a vision we're living kingdomly, the life in God's kingdom, and we have no intention. And if we did have that vision, then we would make a decision, and we would be intentional, and that would make more sense to us. And so here are some areas of our lives that can be changed and transformed. I'm going to end with this, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Um, there's lots and lots of work that you could do in every one of these areas. But if you don't know where to start, pick one. Just pick one of these and take it in your container and go, let's have a chat about this, God. And, uh, you know, of course, the first one is our thought life. And I think that uh, it comes to our attention when we get to know what's happening in our inner life. The first time, the first day you go into your container, uh, you know, you're going to find out what you think about. And what is on your mind and you know our thinking can be transformed and we can actually become less negative we can be somebody who stops thinking negatively we can become somebody who thinks about god um, we can we can he's never out of our mind what he wants and what is what he would do in his kingdom would be what we actually dwell on his greatness his faithfulness his loveliness and all of that, you know, we would adore him uh, if our thoughts were transformed. We'd be in worship and adoration of him. We'd walk in nature and we would, you know, feel like he's speaking to us. Um, we would be kind of like God intoxicated, if you will. You know, he would have, our mind would be so filled with the, the biblical expression of who God is. And we would 
recognize that and see that in nature and we would see his plans for us in the world and we would just stop dwelling on negative things in ourselves. Our mind would be centered on God and what's true about God. Uh, that's how, that's shalom. That's where our thought life can go. That's what God wants for us. Um, it can affect our feelings. When it comes to our feelings and our emotions being transformed or being changed, you know, we notice something. Transformation uh, helps us as God's followers and as children to be a light that's really deeply characterized by love. Um, you know, this, this is how transformation of our emotions plays out. We, we actually end up having way more love for people and more love for ourselves and more love for, for other people. We end up having, loving, you know, and recognizing lots of good things that God is doing. We don't miss the God activity. We end up loving God. We end up loving other people. And we actually love who we are, and we love our life. Our feelings, you know, can be transformed to where we become grateful people and thankful people for what is happening in our life. Even though maybe we've walked through hard things or difficult things, it's like this transformation of our feelings allows us to like just receive God's gifts and, and at least at his allowance where we will know that he's got only good and perfect gifts for us and go on to live with him. And we'll have joy, we'll have peace in, in us, you know, even in really hard times. We won't doubt and change our mind about God all the time every time suffering comes or something hard comes because what we've learned about God, we begin to become really confident and really hopeful. And, you know, we don't indulge. We don't give our heart over to uh, rejection or depression or failure or hopelessness because we have faith. We know better. That's our feelings. And so through transformation, I'm also not controlled by my feelings, <laughs> but by Jesus. And Jesus controls my emotions and how I feel. He's the only one who actually gets to control my emotions. Not other people, not circumstances, not the enemy, not disappointments, only Jesus. Um, and so he can transform our emotions. And um, I, I honestly think that emotion, our, my, my emotional maturity is never going to outrun my spiritual, my spiritual maturity. If I'm trying to grow spiritually, it's never going to uh, take over or lap my um, uh, emotional maturity. They're tied together quite a bit. And so sometimes we just need lots of healing and that and transformation in our emotions to see ourselves grow spiritually. And then another area is our will. Our will, you know, in a transformed will starts to line up with God's will. And so through transformation, I notice that, you know, my wanter starts to want what God wants. And I really start to become devoted to doing what is pleasing to God. And so over time, my will is just habitually tuned into, just like your mind, just like your emotions are habitually like homing in on God. Your will is like, have your way. I don't, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at being in charge. You get to be in charge. And we're just abandoned to like surrender to the will of God. Uh, and we don't struggle and deliberate, you know, I don't know, do I want to let God have his way? Um, we, we just kind of set out to give our will over to God uh, so that he can have his way in our life. And, and transformation of your will allows you to do that. That's one of the things he, he does in transforming our will. 
um, our body is when we, you know, become more like Christ through transformation, our body really has come over to the side of our will to do good. And we're able to do things, you know, that we weren't able to do bodily. It's constantly poised to do the right thing, to do what God wants. Imagine that. Uh, you know, transformation of our body means that we're not going to automatically, you know, autopilot and move into what's wrong or things that are contrary to, you know, our intentions or our resolve. And it's no longer true that, our, you know, oh, our spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Because we know by experience that Jesus didn't say those words. He wasn't declaring something um, but really he was saying, here's the inevitable condition of humans, <laughs> but it's a diagnosis and a condition that needs healed and transformed so that our flesh isn't weak. Um, often the, our bodies of transformed people, they just look different. They, you know, there's a, there's a, a freshness about them. Uh, there's a calmness about them. They walk in the room and they bring peace. They bring calmness. They have this sort of like quiet strength. They have like transparency. They're, they're rested. They're playful. Uh, they can work hard, but they can play hard. They can, there's this bodily strength that's from God because they're, they've transformed even the way that they treat their body, the way that they, um, you know, use their body. And I like this verse, Romans 8.10, he who raised up Christ Jesus from the dead has given life to their bodies through his spirit that dwells in them. Poor baby. I'm sick of hearing my voice. <laughs> That's another reason why babies cry. <laughs> Can't she just shut up? Um, two more areas, social relations, and, you know, transformation changes our social relationships, because in our relationships to other people, we will become more and more transparent and more and more trusting, because we're starting to kind of walk in goodness, and we, we don't have, like, darkness coming out of us, and so we achieve, you know, real, your, your relationships actually start to go deep and be more healthy and your fellowship, and you, you, like, you can love people well, especially followers of Jesus. Um, and the one who, in uh, I think this is Proverbs, the one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause of offense in him. So we, we're not offensive people socially in our relationships with other people. We don't like hide our thoughts and feelings and, uh, in, or impose them on everyone because of our, you know, confidence in God. We, we don't try to manipulate people. We don't try to manage people. We don't micromanage people. We don't try to control people in social contexts. So uh, we don't go on an attack, you know, on the hunt, intending to use or hurt other people. I think, um, you know, this is probably... One of the areas that I've seen some of the most transformation in learning how to not get approval from people, um, I don't, I'm not using people. I don't need them to meet my needs. And so I'm able to actually love them, you know, out of my love for Jesus instead of my insecurity trying to get love from people all the time. And so it really has affected my, my social relationships a lot, my work relationships, um, and just, you know, learning how to Pay attention in a social setting. I think a lot about, like, what am I bringing in the room right now? 
You know, how am I changing the dynamics of this room? What are, what are people getting from me? Is it negative? Is it positive? Is it pointing to Jesus? Is it, um, you know, hiding Jesus under a bushel? What's, what's going on? Because transformation into Christ means that socially we, we know how to really be there for people, be there as someone that they can trust and lean on, just like Jesus himself. And so we, we, we will find ourselves like fighting for the outcast without any anger, <laughs> Um, a lot of people about are uh, in the whole move justice movement are angry, and I think God does feel some anger about injustice. I don't think He likes injustice at all. But I, I think when you go out to fight on behalf of other people, um, you don't want to fight, you know, uh, and you don't have to. You can speak up. You can speak the truth in love. You can speak up for people without a voice socially. In a, in a loving way that can be heard and accepted. And we just, we just care about what God cares about in social relationships. Uh, and that's what will happen through transformation. And then lastly, our soul. And, you know, finally, as you come face to face with your own personal transformation, you see that all of the above, all of these things, it, you know, it's not just on the surface. It's this like deeply rooted in us and this a certain obvious sense that it becomes more natural and it starts to flow. And that's because, you know, the things that we've been describing, the things we've been talking about, um, you're not constantly trying to avoid. You're not constantly trying to hide. And you're, you know, you're not trying to run <laughs> from the things that are harder or gritting your teeth. You're asking Jesus to help you walk through um, and carry on. And so instead of, you know, the negative things just springing up like a well out of our soul, what comes out of our soul and who we are uh, starts to, it's a home for God. Our heart is a home for God. And, and so the outcome of that is Christ. And again, it doesn't mean perfection. That won't happen uh, until the new heaven, the new earth. But it does mean that we have here like a person whose soul is whole, a person who through like internalized integrity of God and who he is, living by the Spirit, has a restored soul. And there's not like this sort of brokenness. And our soul, uh, effectively, you know, is how we relate to and experience God. And then we're able to spread that, um, you know, to function as God intended.